0: from the land of mystery, where dreams become reality. Always listening to stories from the past, the present, and the future. This is back to your story. All right, let's do this. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, the record button is hit. And um, just had a little brief introduction for my listeners. Uh, doctor, will you introduce
1: yourself and uh, explain, uh, you know, a little bit about you? Sure. My name is uh, Gil and I'm I'm a, I'm a scientist. Uh, my background is in molecular biology, genetics, and some aspects of nutrition in graduate school. And then after that, I've done work in different things, including neuroscience. And recently, I've been involved in a number of measures that have to do with science communication, um, from doing educational videos on YouTube. I have this, this channel that I started about a year ago called Nutrition Made Simple. It mainly focuses on breaking down nutrition people think is so confusing. And so it's breaking down all this all this stuff for people who have no scientific background. The idea is to make things simple and accessible and actionable that people can just take what matters, just the nuggets, and take action, and, and eat healthy and be healthy, and um, and then re- and recently because of uh, because of the obvious uh, circumstances we're in, I've been making videos on on the whole coronavirus situation as well, and trying to break down same same idea, take the science and try to break it down in simple terms and just distill the things that matter to, uh, to a general audience. I think that's incredible.
0: Um, you know, we were, I was just speaking before we hit record. We live in a day and age where there's so much information that's spread around constantly. It's going so fast and, um, and anything from the coronavirus to nutrition to, uh, w- whatever it is, uh, in life to be able to break it down into small bite-sized pieces so that you can easily digest it and understand it mm-hmm. uh, is key. And that's, and that's why you, uh, are seeing some growing success on, on your page. I mean, it's uh, fantastic to see uh the people are very intrigued and they're listening and they're they're digesting it in a way that uh resonates with them um what was before before I could, we get right to the coronavirus thing what was the influence behind you wanting to start the po- uh, not the podcast the uh the series online
1: yeah the the youtube channel yeah. um i i always thought that there's a gap between science as it's done Professionally, by scientists in labs and hospitals and all that, and the public. There's a huge gap, um, and there are, there are some attempts to bridge that gap, but but there's a lot of voices out there that are not particularly qualified. And I've always thought that there's room for more, um, you know, more reaching out and explaining things to people. And and the idea is not to, to dumb things down. I, I don't think people want things oversimplified. People want the truth. People can handle the truth but they they just want and they want to know what the the facts are and then they want to be allowed to make their own decisions that's essentially it right so they want to they want to make informed decisions based on the facts and so that's that's what my channel tries tries to do and i and i always provide all the sources and i actually one of the conducting threads of the of the videos is to invite people to have crit, uh, critical thinking to develop critical thinking to to cultivate that and to question everything including everything i say i Constantly invite people to fact check me, to go to the sources, to challenge me in the comments, as well as challenge everything else they hear.
0: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I mean that, that, that goes with anything in life,
0: right? I mean, whenever someone delivers something to you, you have to ask questions. Don't ever take anything directly at face value. Um, that's that's what makes uh, you know these types of conversations so fantastic. It allows us to dive deeper um, into to whatever scenario, whatever topic we're discussing on. But especially for what you're trying to do and what you're trying to uh, what you are portraying and sharing with people um, to then even say, hey, ask questions, look beyond it. Don't always take things at face value that's fantastic that's a it's a great character inside of you um gr- growing up did you always know that you wanted to get into this field or was it something that uh, just kind of happened uh
1: I I had a, a scientific penchant early, from early on although I had many different interests and still do uh, I went to medical school right after high school so I grew, I grew up a little bit all over the place and when I was a, a I was in Brazil I was in Africa for a while and then this is like growing up just a kind of a nomadic history. And then uh, when I graduated high school, I happened to be in Europe. I was living in Portugal at the time and I went to medical school and after medical school decided to get into research more and actually ended up moving here to the U S to do, to go to grad school where I studied uh, genetics, molecular biology, nutrition, Uh, all of that went into my PhD. Um, So yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly which subfield I was going to focus on. I still have kind of eclectic interests, but I always had this this uh, scientific uh, interest, if you want to call it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. I'd love one of the last things you said is like, I, I have still more interest. I still have more things that I want to do. Um, I'm, I, I find myself very similar in that. It's like, I don't get settled on one thing I want to know. Uh, and I want to do many different things. Right. And it's good to expand. It's good to open up your brain and, and, and look beyond, uh, you know, just what you're doing at that time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when I came across your videos, I was just very blown away uh, by the presentation, by the way that you shared things, by the way that you were able to make things um, understandable. Like you could really digest it in a way. It doesn't matter at, at what level you are in your life. It was very easy to take in. And I and I think there needs to be more of that, but it doesn't mean that um, you're simplifying it, but you're just making it Easier to digest, and uh, it, it really resonated with me, and so that's one of the big reasons why I reached out to you. And when I watched, uh, you know, your videos on the coronavirus, and this is something that, you know, it's on everyone's mind right now. I mean, all across the world, I've uh, never seen anything like this. No one's ever seen anything like this in in the modern times to where yeah. the the. Economy, everything is just shutting down, and um, a lot of people are are scared. A lot of people are freaking out. Um, yeah. for, for the listeners, can you explain
1: exactly what is the coronavirus? Um, sure, it's a it's a type of virus. So, if we want to take another step back, a virus is basically a pathogen. A very simple pathogen is. It's in some ways, it's the simplest form of life. It's much smaller and much simpler than a bacteria. Even um, it can't. Survive on its own; it can't replicate by itself. It's not self-sufficient, unlike a bacteria. Uh, so it needs a host. Yeah. Uh, viruses can have all kinds of hosts. They can be different animals, even plants, even bacteria can be hosts. And this one that, that we're talking about, the novel coronavirus st- strain that that people call SARS-CoV-2, uh, this one happened to evolve to have a human host. Uh, unfortunately for us. Yes. And so, and so, what viruses do because they because they don't have the, the ability to replicate by themselves. They enter specific cells inside the host and they they hijack the machinery of those cells to replicate. And in the process, end up a lot of times destroying the cell. And so the symptoms of a viral infection have to do with the type of cells that the virus attacks, right? Yeah. And so that's that's why this one happens to be a, a happens to trigger a, a respiratory disease, although that's not the only type of symptoms, but it's the main type of symptom. And that's because the main target of this virus is a specific type of cell inside our lungs called as the, the pneumocyte. And specifically they're the type two pneumocytes. And the pneumocyte just means basically means, means, a, means a lung cell. Pneumo means air or lung, and site is just a suffix for cell. And so these cells are very important. We can get into the, the nitty-gritty, but these cells are very important for, for our ability to breathe, to expand these air sacs that we have in our, in our lungs and to allow gas exchange. And so when these cells are destroyed, uh, we, we have difficulty breathing. And so that's one of the main symptoms of the, of this, this strain of virus.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, when it, when it was first coming, you know, to, to, to play when, when people really started listening and hearing about it, and especially when I started, uh, you know, hearing about the coronavirus, and it's only been, you know, a few months now, um, I don't think I was personally taking it seriously. I mean, I kept on uh, relating it to, you know, the common flu, the influenza and looking at the numbers and all of that. When people do that, when they try to compare it to the common flu, what is the main difference um, between Mm -hmm. uh, the coronavirus and, you know, the common flu that, you know, comes every single year?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a number of significant differences. So it's, it's considerably more contagious. So okay. there's this term that's been thrown out there recently that people are not, by now probably familiar with, the R0 or R0. It's written as R0, but a lot of virologists and epidemiologists pronounce it R0. Okay. Uh, and it's basically just a measure of how contagious a virus is. Uh, and so it's essentially a measure of if I have a, a virus, how many people am I likely to give it to? Right And so just to give you an idea, the R not for the the season seasonal influenza the, the your gardener variety flu is around one point three okay, so if I have flu, uh, average one point three people around me are likely to get it from me. Uh, the R not for this strain of coronavirus depends on on the source you you go to, but it's around two point five to three point five that ballpark okay. So it's two to three times, give or take, um, more contagious. Uh, another major difference is the mortality, and the difference there is even bigger. So the mortality um, in uh, caused by coronavirus is 10 to 15 times higher than the mortality caused by the flu. So wow. flu is, is about 0.1%. So one in a 1,000 that have the flu are, are going to... Um, pass away, whereas for this virus, it is 10 to 15 times higher. There are some other differences. The incubation period is much longer, which creates some other complications. And there are some, some indication also that it may last outside the body, outside the host for relatively long periods of time. So when you put all of that together, it kind of explains why it seems more contagious and it seems more um, harmful once, you, once somebody has it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what, uh, you know, I, there's this like whole thing going around with the masks. And I know that we here in, in yeah. the States, we're definitely having a shortage on masks. How important are these masks? I mean, so, you know, some officials say you, you should wear Some say that you shouldn't. Um, it's kind of like this back and forth thing uh, across the media and social media. Uh, do this, do that, do this, do that. What is the actual answer for those masks?
1: Yeah, so I, I think the authorities are pretty consistent. Uh, the, you know, the, the most qualified sources are pretty consistent that the mask doesn't seem to do much in terms of protecting one from infection. Now, if you have symptoms, if you're sick, then it does help prevent you from passing it to somebody else. Uh, but as a protective measure, it doesn't seem to be too effective. It may be because it gets around the mask. It may be because there are mucosal surfaces that are not protected by the mask. So, and we're talking about the, these these uh, regular surgical masks, right? There are other varieties of masks that may be uh, a bit more effective. Now, what I've, what I've said before on videos is it doesn't seem like it's super effective if somebody is going about their normal day-to-day business. Of course, if you're going to be around somebody who's sick, if you're a healthcare practitioner around people who have the infection, of course, then it does um, it does it, it becomes more more helpful. Uh, also, what I've said is, if you have masks and you want to you, you want to wear them, I don't see a downside. You know, yeah. if it if it makes you feel better, it's not going to hurt. Sure. Uh, but it's it, you know it it might not be a uh, a panacea.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, and there's definitely, uh, becoming a shortage of these masks. So, I mean, if you have them, obviously it will make you feel better, but going out and trying to buy a whole bunch of them, what can people, um, do to be safe? I mean, everyone's, you know, we're, I'm in Los Angeles right now and, uh, you know, everyone's on, on quarantine. We're like, we, we have to right. stay up for the next month. Um, what are things that we can do to protect ourselves?
1: Right. And so just, just to to, uh, to follow up on what you said, I think it was a good point, is if you have a mask, you want you want to wear it fine. But I, I completely agree with what you said. There's no point panicking and rushing out and trying to get them or, you know, we see people stealing them from hospitals and crazy stuff like that. There's no there's really no point. There's no it's not worth it um, in terms of preventing it. Uh, it's really the main me- the main measures that we've heard from the authorities, from the CDC, from Anthony Fauci, and all these people. Uh, social distancing is the is the main thing, and that's why we're having we're we're hearing all these recommendations to avoid the crowds and to avoid, you know, small enclosed spaces that are poorly ventilated, that are that are full of people, unnecessary travel, this type of thing, um, especially around people who are infected or who are sick or who seem like they're sick, that's obviously a higher risk. Um, number two are the hygiene measures that we've also heard plenty about. Washing your hands thoroughly with hand and soap, with uh, water and soap for 20 seconds. Um, maybe disinfecting surfaces that are commonly used, coughing into the the creak of your elbow, all these things that we've heard over and over. Uh, but it's really about, it's more about doing what we know than, than about knowing what to do at this point, right? It's about actually um, Taking action on these things that we've heard. Um, th- the other thing is, uh, people who are in the at-risk group, it becomes even more important for them to follow these measures and to to uh, to be wary. And that's of course uh, elderly people, people with uh, other conditions, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, obesity, asthma. Uh, smokers also seem to be at higher risk. Um, and last but not least, I, I would say, and in line with everything that I that I try to focus on in my channel is general lifestyle. I mean, yes, you want to prevent the virus from reaching you. You want to, you know, uh, implement all these social distancing measures, but if you happen to be exposed, one thing that's probably going to determine whether you are infected and and maybe even more importantly, how dramatic the symptoms are or even if you are symptomatic at all is your general state. Right? We know that people with comorbid conditions um, are uh, 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 a large majority of the deaths are people who have other diseases. They're not young he- healthy people with some exceptions. So uh, taking care of your health in general you know healthy he- a healthy diet, exercising, sleeping well, not being super stressed all these basic measures and I, I realize that this is the worst time to to, <laughs> to I realize people are locked up at home they're stressed out about the virus they're not sleeping. They're probably eating really poorly because they they stocked up on junk food and they're and they're not exercising because they're because they're locked up at home. So I get it. It's 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 not the, the easiest time to do it. But these are these are the things that are likely to give you the most bang for your buck.
0: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. I mean, taking care of yourself, trying to eat healthy, um even your mental state. I, all of these things are going on uh right now. It's 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 hard. I mean, everyone's, you know, stocked up on food and then you hear these crazy stories about people uh stealing semi-trucks that are filled with toilet paper and, right. uh, and it's all of these crazy things and it's just it, for for me it's so hard to uh, wrap my head around all of this. I mean, as, as a kid growing up, uh, you know, we would play games where we like, Oh, if the end of the world was happening, you know, this is what we would do and what, uh, you know, how we would prepare. And I, I I don't think this is definitely not going to be the end of the world by any measure, but, um, there are a lot of people out there that are feeling that, I mean, gun shops, uh, they, they've, we're having lines out the freaking door. Um it's it's definitely a strange time. Did we see this coming? I, I feel that I mean, especially in the States, like we were not fully prepared for something like this. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I I completely agree that we were slow to take action, um, especially having the privilege of seeing other countries go through this first. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about general population. I'm talking about, you know, people who, who are in charge of making these decisions. And this is not a, a political thing. I'm not pointing fingers at one person in particular. I'm saying, you know, everybody was in charge of, of making these policies for, for, for an entire country. I think the United States was really slow to act. I think it's still being slow to act. I think we really dragged our feet, uh, to take, to take action. Um, we we eventually did, and we are. To be fair, we are doing a lot more, and we are taking this a lot more seriously now than we did a couple of weeks back. Um, but it took too long, in my opinion, and uh, and we're to some extent we're paying the price. But you know, it's not too late. We can still. Um, if there's one thing that I that I like to emphasize, and, and I, I focus this in on this in my videos, is is looking at these countries that have already. You know, we we have this huge a uh, privilege of being able to look at China, South Korea, Singapore, all these countries that had to deal with the virus first that had no no uh, advanced notice, right? And they we we can tell by the but the, the statistics by the curves that they have dealt with it uh, very effectively. Yes. Um, they have brought those numbers of new infections a day to very low numbers, almost non-existent numbers in some cases. So we know this is doable. We also know we can go back and see what they did, right? So this is a, an incredible privilege we have. Yes. Um, I don't think we're quite doing it enough yet. I don't think we're taking it quite seriously enough. And, and I'd like to, to, on your point of people going around and panicking and, get, and getting guns, I think there's a critical distinction between panicking and taking action. Yes. So we can take precautions and take action and be relaxed and be uh, informed without panicking and, and just pulling out our hair. Um, and so I think that's, that's, what's missing. We have, you know, not enough information and not enough action and too much panic. And so that's what I try to, to the limited extent that I can, I try to, 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 to rectify that a little bit with the, with my videos and with everything that we're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there is a, there's a big difference between being prepared and, and freaking out and, and, you know, going, going crazy. Um, looking at at all of this, um, is, is it pretty much proven that this is this started in China, correct?
1: Yeah, started in in Hubei, the Hubei province, and then it really spread in in um, in Wuhan and then spread to other parts of China and then from there the, from there the world. yeah,
0: how how did this even happen? How did this virus emerge?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. so there's there's some very recent papers. There's a paper I was looking at just before we got on. Uh, that came out today, looking at a possible origin. So, uh, one of the pro- the progenitors of this of this strain seems to have seems to be a a, a virus that that has a host in bats, yeah. and the papers that came out today is actually um, suggesting that pangolins, this kind of like Chinese um, armadillo type animal, uh, may also be a host. So it may be a transition, like the, the the virus may go from the bat to the pangolin and then to the human. Okay. Um, that chain of events is not one hundred percent clear, but these two animals are, are pretty likely that the the bat the, the the virus came from there, and then adapted. There's a series of mutations that it underwent to be able to colonize us.
0: How did that even happen? How did it go from the, eventually the bat to to us? Do we even know that yet?
1: We don't know one hundred percent for sure. It could be it could be through the ingestion. It could be just the exposure, um, and so. You know, the, the, these viruses will, with a certain rate, they'll undergo mutations, just like any organism. DNA will mutate uh, somewhat spontaneously, and then if the if that mutation happens to be advantageous, in this case, if it finds a new host, then it it takes hold, right? So, so that's what it's, it seems like. That's that's what happened. But it's not. Yeah, like I said, it's not a hundred percent clear the chain of events. Uh, this paper with the pangolin is from is from today. So this is a lot of the stuff surrounding this. I mean, it's it's. It's worth mentioning this virus is five months old. Yeah, right. The virus itself. So this is really unprecedented what we're seeing in terms of the speed. Sorry, the speed that this this is taking place at, and then also the speed of, on a positive note, the speed of discovery and scientific advances that we're seeing is is unprecedented. Uh, the amount that we've figured out and the amount of resources that we've been able to uh, to create since then is, is something that I've never seen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I find it so incredible because I know that like uh, vac- vaccinations and vaccines, um, they take a while uh, to even to get to that test trial point. Um, but you're starting to hear more and more things that they are moving a lot faster. What is it that, uh, is it just because this is all over the world and we've kind of broken down those barriers to allow us to move uh, quicker in the, the process of trying to create a cure vaccine for it?
1: Yeah. In part, it's, it's the urgency, right? So there's There's ways that these vaccine development uh, trials normally... It's normally a more sequential process. And in this case, because it's so urgent, some of these steps are being done in parallel. And in fact, some of these... So there's one vaccine that's already in phase one trial, started uh, this past Monday. And so it's already being injected into people, just an initial trial on like 40 people or so, just to test safety, just to see if they have any adverse reaction. And normally for a vac- for a, you know for a regular vaccine development process, you'd go through more sort of animal testing and things like that, and then eventually go to humans. But here, uh, they are uh, trying to speed this up. Uh, however, there's there's phases that you can't there's things you cannot speed up, right? So so from here on out, there's a limit to how much you can speed up speed up a process. And so these the phase one, phase two, and possibly a phase three, you know, they, they need to take six months to, to, to 12 months each uh, because you need to make sure that the vaccine, number one, is somewhat effective in humans. And, and more perhaps more importantly, that it's not going to make things worse. Yes. Right? You, you can't start in, uh, vaccinating people by the millions and then realize they actually do worse when they're infected. So, and that's, there is some precedent for that. So uh, that's why we can't just rush it out within the next six months. Uh, it will take, and when you hear these estimates, uh, Fauci has 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 brought up these 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 numbers of uh, 12 to 18 months. I think that's possible. I personally think that's very optimistic, and it's it's if everything goes well. I think that's best case scenario, right? But if if these first vaccines that we're trying end up not working or having some other side effects, we may have to go back to other options. So uh, we may not have it you know, that soon, we may, we may have it at some point in 2021, if everything goes well, but we got to get ready for the possibility that may all, it may also not happen or not, not so, not so soon. I mean, it it will happen eventually, but it will
0: happen for sure. It will happen eventually, but, uh, that is a long time. Um, considering the state that we're in and so many people are out of jobs or their, their hours are getting cut, their pay is getting cut. How do we do this? I know that in England, they were talking about just kind of getting everyone together so that, uh, you know, eventually that they could, you know, create an immunity towards it. And I, I don't think that's happening, but how does society even live, breathe, move, work? Um, if we have to wait, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months for, for a vaccine to come out.
1: Yeah, well, there there are other possibilities in the pipeline, right? There are there are many drugs that are being tested. There are many clinical trials ongoing for drugs, both drugs that already exist and are already used for other diseases, and that are actually being being used by doctors in hospitals for uh, patients with coronavirus. Um, things like hydroxychloroquine and antivirals, so things that we already have, and they're they're testing, and there are some. Some reports coming from China of, the, of these things having some um, some, benefic- some benefits, uh, but it's not entirely clear, and the data is not at the highest level yet. So we can't we can't say we have a drug that works. Uh, but but there are things that are being tried, and so that's one reason that this whole strategy of flattening the curve and delaying the spread is a good idea, in my opinion, at least, and I think most of the authorities out there, because. If, you, if we end up getting the virus, me, for example, if I end up getting the virus, it's probably going to be very different getting it now versus getting it six months or a year from now when our resources and our knowledge and experience are going to be at a completely different level and we might have answers in a year or six months even that we don't have now and things are going to be a lot less experimental and a lot more, uh, you know, tried tried and tested. So this, that's why the, the strategy of flattening the curve and delaying things and, and spreading it out is one of the best things we have in our hands right now. That's that right. that and not over, overwhelming the healthcare system, right?
0: That's, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's crazy to see some of these hospitals. I mean, they're, they're, they're the limited resources that we have and uh, elective surgeries or, you know, that, that can't happen right now. And just so many things um, are having to get pushed to the side because of this, Um Are governments working together? This is one thing I want to know is like, are governments working together around the world to try to come together? Are they sharing information or is it just nation by nation? um, You know, kind of like a race, uh, like it was between let's say the Russians and the Americans with building rockets to go to outer space, or are we coming together as one and putting our differences aside?
1: To to a large extent, we're coming together and, and definitely, and this is one, one good thing about science is uh, science works by sharing evidence, right? Once you have a finding and once you publish it, the goal is to spread it and to communicate it. Hoarding it for yourself, scientific, just in the scientific sphere doesn't make much sense, for military or, or political purposes maybe, but as as pure scientists are concerned, the goal is to share it. And actually there's the, uh, I, I showed this one in one of my videos, the pace of publication of these studies has has been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we, we're we're seeing dozens of papers being published almost daily, and this is something that, you know, the, the pace of, of of publication just to give people an idea usually takes months, sometimes years to get these papers, pe- uh, like a, a paper peer reviewed, and and then accepted and then eventually published. It takes a long time. It's kind of a painful process, but it's it's something that's very important in um, ensuring quality in in science. Here, for good and for, and for bad, we're seeing. Incredible speed, lots of data being published, which is, you know, I understand it's necessary, um, and we're seeing a lot of data from from China. Obviously, the people and the doctors and the scientists who had to deal with this first coming out. So at that, at that level, yes, there's a lot of sharing. Uh, we are learning from what they did and what worked and what does what didn't. Uh, at the level of governments, uh, there is <clears throat> there is some uh, amount of learning as well. You do see some some level of sluggishness. Uh, so one example would be the testing that in this country still hasn't been really implemented and could have been implemented, according to many sources, much earlier if we had just bought the tests from the, 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 the same companies that provided the, ch- the tests for China. They were already producing them by the millions. And we ended up going with, first it was the CDC was gonna make them, and then I think Roche, we, we were gonna contract another company and it ended up being a big fumble and so I don't know how much of politics there is behind that. That's a little, a little above my, you know, outside of my my sphere of expertise. But but I, I think it's possible that there's a level of politics being being played that unfortunately ends up delaying the process. For sure, absolutely. I mean, you hear South Korea putting
0: out 250,000 of those tests. I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I could be wrong on on the numbers. Oh
1: no, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. 250,000 Koreans yeah. have have been tested. South Koreans. Uh, have been tested for this, and it, their their facilities and their their, their the, all the, the the installations and all the their, the procedures, I think should be a model for everybody else. The way they were doing it was was just stunning, and we're definitely not doing that here not yet. No. Uh, so we need we need to to learn and implement more and faster, and uh, you know I, I think it's shocking that Korea was doing this in mid February, and here we are more than a month later, we're still dragging our feet like we're reinventing the wheel. Uh, it's, It's disappointing in my opinion.
0: It is, it's really disappointing. I mean, especially when you see other nations doing it, right? They, they're they already doing it. Why are we not doing it? We have, you know, 300 plus million Americans uh, living in the U.S. We need to get out those tests um, and and really start to figure this out. I, I, I am happy to hear that, uh, you know, scientists are working together. That does make a lot of sense. Um, but there are things that don't make a lot of sense. Why is it that, um, you know, China had massive numbers and then all of a sudden it's like, zero and i know there are people that are like eh, maybe they're you know not telling the truth and other people are like well you know it's fantastic uh what's going on there do you know
1: yeah so yeah there's a lot of skepticism regarding the chinese numbers i don't think it's particularly relevant to focus on whether the the numbers coming out from china are 100 accurate or not because we have this pattern in korea the same and other countries didn't even have the bump right? Other countries handled it before it even escalated. So it's not particularly relevant whether the numbers from China are 100% trustworthy or not. Yeah. The, the fact that we see across countries, and this is what you try to do in science, is you try to replicate an experiment, right? it's, more, it's It gives you more confidence to see the experiment give the same general result d- done by different teams than by seeing a perfect experiment done once, right? And so here, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a conserved pattern where these countries that came first and that acted very swiftly and very uh, decisively. Saw either a reversal or not even it getting to problematic levels. So in, in in China, to to specifically answer your question, in China they were they implemented what some journalists are calling draconian measures because they put the entire city of Wuhan in a complete lockdown. Okay. It's a city of 11 million people. It's twice twice the size of LA population wise. So imagine. People not not a guideline. Like people would not leave their home. Uh, they had to, if they wanted food or groceries, they would order them. Somebody would bring them to them. There was a common area in each building or each street where the delivery person would leave the, the groceries and then leave and then go away, and the person would come back come back later to pick them up. So there was no overlap, right? So there was there was a very strong uh, citywide, and then it it. it, it um, Broaden to the whole province of Hubei to to a large extent, and that's like 58 million people. Uh, so in China, it was through very strong measures. In Korea, it was different. It was more through public education, uh, the extensive testing network, um, and and then quarantining people who tested positive. Right, but it was it was a less Draconian, if you want to call it that, and more technology and education-based approach. But in both cases, you see a very similar graph. The, the exact numbers vary, but if you see a very similar graph, the, the numbers start to go up, they get into that exponential phase, and then they reverse, and they start coming down and get to very low numbers. They're, they're now in the double digits in both uh, in terms of new infections a day in both countries. And, and we're averaging 5,500. I mean, I shouldn't say averaging. Yesterday was 5,500. The day before, was like 4,500 four, 4, around there because we're still in that accelerating phase. We're still going up and up every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was it uh, with Italy especially, though, um, to kind of jump topic, what was it with Italy that there was so many deaths? I mean, I know there's a lot more people in China compared to Italy, uh, but there was a lot more deaths. I mean, don't they – if I'm wrong, just please let me know. Uh, don't don't they have the, the most amount of deaths for any nation?
1: Yeah, definitely by if you if you correct for the population, right? And you and you can do a direct comparison. This is something a, a little kind of a coarse analysis that I try to do in one of my videos, where I put Korea, South Korea, and Italy side by side. And they're a, a, a convenient comparison because number one, their population size is similar. South Korea is fifty one million, I think, and and Italy is sixty million. So they're around the same order of magnitude. Unlike China, which obviously is much higher in the U.S. And then they were hit at around the same time. So uh, in Italy, the infections started to rise only three days after South Korea. And so, and dis- despite these similarities, what you see is they rose at around the same time, Italy a little bit uh, later, but they, Italy caught up. So the infections started to rise around fe- mid-February. And by early March, they were both, they were kind of head, head and head, uh, neck and neck, right? Um, they were, kind of even in, in the number of new infections a day that they were recording. But after that, you see a massive difference. In South Korea, the number of infections uh, starts to go down and goes down to very low numbers. In Italy, just it just kept rising. And it's still rising until now. So and it's been weeks. It's been now over 10 days of, of complete quarantine countrywide in Italy. And so there are several differences and there are several factors that the experts have floated to 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 explain this. One is the age of the population. It seems that Italy has an older right. population average. Um, another thing that's been floated is the number of smokers, uh, which may also play a role. Third factor is cultural differences. Italians being touchier, more social, go out more, you know, closer, you know, more, more in your in your uh, personal space. And that may also play a role in, in uh, you know, enhancing contagion. And the last thing, Uh, which I think is very relevant and likely to be a major factor, is the timing of the government action. In Korea, we saw very early on throughout February, the Korean government, I should say South Korean to to make it clear, uh, the South South Korean government took it very seriously, very quickly. Uh, And all these measures that we talked about, all the testing and all the public education came out early and they were telling people to work from home and not to avoid crowds. All these things that we've been hearing recently, they were hearing, you know, mid-February, and, and implementing them and actually taking them seriously. Um, so Italy, the quarantine was implemented on March 9. So that's okay. almost a month after Korea. Uh, and so the timing, when you line up the timing of the action of, of China and Korea, it uh, matches very well their, the reversal when the curve started, uh, you know, when the, the number of cases start coming down. And so I I even predicted in one of my videos, I said, look, the quarantine started March 9 in Italy. We're still seeing the numbers go up. And this was like three or four days ago. And I said, this is the point where if this all behaves like in Asia, this is where you could expect the numbers to start rounding down. And it's gonna be about Tuesday, give or or take. There's variability. But we're still seeing the numbers go up in all the Western countries, Italy, France, Spain, the United States. Um, So we still haven't reached that point. Uh, where in China and South Korea we saw that that relief, that inflection. How long
0: do you think it is until the US uh, reaches that curve?
1: It's hard to say because it depends on so many factors, but you know, we, we gotta we gotta use a lot of ifs. If yeah. if the virus behaves here as it did in those Asian countries, and if we implement effective measures as broadly and as clearly as they did, then we would expect it to be about about two weeks after those measures go into place. But bear in mind, again, in China, it was not ambiguous. They put the whole city in lockdown and two weeks later, you start seeing the curve inflect. In Korea, again, massive measures. The country was on, they have a system of alerts and they first were on yellow alert, then orange alert, and then red alert by the end of February. And then, you know, after a couple of weeks of those measures, you start seeing the numbers go down as well. So the kind of, the guesstimate is that once you get serious and once you actually implement the measures, a couple of weeks for it to start going down because it's, it matches the period of incubation, right? Yes. So once you stop the spread, you still expect the curve to go up while the, vi- the virus that was incubating and the people that already had it is now manifesting itself, even though there's no, no new in, no new spread, no new uh, infections. Um, and then after about, about two weeks, everybody that was infected is infected and showing the symptoms. And now the number of new infections starts to go down. And then it takes another couple of weeks, give or take, for the numbers to get lower. Uh, this is a, this is what we saw in China and, and Korea. So if if it replicates here, that's what we're looking at.
0: So does that mean that the United States of America would have to go on a nationwide lockdown, essentially? I mean, I know states are um, but not all 50, not, not all of the states uh, in the U.S. are doing that. In my, I, I, I could be wrong on that, um, but I know that the federal government hasn't instituted a full nationwide lockdown. Is that what we would need to do to get to that curve? Uh,
1: not, not necessarily. So there's a, a huge heterogeneity across the United States, right? You have states in New, uh, New York, for example, you see Cuomo seems to be taking this the most serious out of any state. And that's probably because they're they are having the biggest problem over there. And then California, maybe number two or three and Seattle probably. Um, but to answer your question, Korea did it without a nationwide lockdown, right? They never forced their citizens to stay at home. They just educated them very clearly, very uh, very widespread campaign of, of education um, and the testing. The testing was was, everything indicates the testing was critical. Because once you can test widely and you can test liberally, you can pick those those infections early on and you can isolate those people, yeah. right? So you don't, you don't need to isolate everybody if you can isolate the people that are infected early on. It doesn't mean that it's magic, you still have the incubation period, but it's a huge advantage. And that I think is the, mo- is the main handicap we have. And to be fair, like I don't wanna be just negative, Uh, we have taken steps in the right direction. And and this is clearly something that Fauci has come out and and talked about repeatedly about testing and how they've tried to, uh, you know, increase the number of tests available and that obviously it's going to happen. It's just a matter of timing. But once you can test in massive scale, that gives you a huge advantage and that allows you to get faster to that point where you get to the peak and then you start seeing reversal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is this, um, I I have two questions, but
0: I'll I'll ask the first one. Um, If someone gets, uh, you know, if they get the virus um, and then they go through quarantine, and it goes away, can they be reinfected?
1: Yeah, it's a a really good question. The the short answer is we don't know 100% for sure. Theoretically, you shouldn't. Not the same strain anyway. Once you're immunized, this is like theoretically in terms of of a viral infection. Once you get one, you're immunized against that strain. Now, if... Theoretically speaking, the virus mutates and there's a new strain. You could theoretically get infected. There are some isolated reports of a second infection in the same person coming out of Japan, but they're isolated cases. So I don't know how much weight I would put on them. You know, it could be a second strain or it could be um, that there wasn't a complete recovery in the first place, or it could even be, you know, false, false negatives, false positives in the testing because they're so rare I wouldn't, you know, bet my life savings on it. Yeah. Um, so the bottom line is we don't know for sure. And this is another thing that is going to be really good. And really, we're really privileged to have China and South Korea where we, we can watch what happens now that they're, they've are they gotten most of the problem under control and they're starting to relax the measures, right? And people are starting to gradually go back to their normal lives. It's going to be really informative for us to watch that curve and see if there's another uptick secondary, Or if it stays down, that's going to be really important for us to to watch. But to be honest, this is kind of a quality problem, right? It's like now that they've handled it, what's going to happen after, but we're not even there yet. We're very, very far behind at the point where we're still trying to handle the initial shock. Um, So, But yeah, it's possible. It's not 100% sure. Nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. Absolutely it, it, now
0: with with you know the common flu, there's different strains. you get the flu shot, but then there could be a different you know uh, yeah. different strain of it. Um, it. is that likely to say for some you know like the coronavirus can that can that happen and we're gonna have to deal with this year after year?
1: it's a it's a formal possibility. There haven't been any uh, different strains reported on, in the literature. Uh, it's a formal possibility. you can't say that the virus is not going to mutate. Um, and so one thing actually that I've heard some experts talk about is trying to come up with a vaccine that is kind of a of an umbrella vaccine for coronaviruses because we talk about coronavirus and most people are thinking of this particular one, the SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. But if you, if you remember, we had, we had SARS, the original SARS in 2003 and we had MERS in 2012, uh, 2012. Yes. So all of those, including this one are types of coronavirus. So, you know, every 10 years or so, every eight years we're getting hit, with a different strain of coronavirus. And they're obviously not kidding around, right? So a lot of experts are thinking about this and trying to come up with a vaccine that is more of a more of an umbrella vaccine for a, for coronaviruses in general.
0: Yeah, it'd be like a family, right? Like- yeah,
1: if there's like a common protein to all of them that you can target that. Um, so that would be obviously that would be amazing if they can come up with something like that, because not only would would it help us with this particular problem, but then problems that we don't even know exist yet. In 10 years, there might be another one, right? Wow. So it's going to possibly help us with that as well. Uh, so that would be great, but it's it's still in very much in kind of planning and developmental stage.
0: Absolutely. Um, with with all of this going on, do you I, I have this feeling like the, the world has kind of changed forever, at least for, for right now? I mean, what we've gone through, what we're going through uh, as a society, I mean, just I, I pretty much everyone on the face of the planet Uh, things have to change. Um, I I know that a lot of our medication, the top 150 of them are made outside of the United States, I believe like China. Um, If this got really bad uh, and we didn't start taking care of things on, on our own as a nation and not, not everything. Cause I, I believe that, uh, I believe globally, that's the type of person that I am, but I do believe that they're key things that we should develop and take care of. Do you think that after something like this, we're going to start looking at, um, our, our, you know, some of our key aspects to change?
1: Um, I think we definitely, definitely have, it, it can be a wake up call and, you know, change, can be incredibly positive, and if this works for us to be more alert and more prepared, you know that's a silver lining. I think clearly we have to have more mechanisms and institutions in place to handle something like this because it's not it's not unique. We've seen some before. This one seems to be more serious, sure, uh, but it's something that we see coming on a regular interval. It's probably going to come again. You know, another another strain of another virus may not may not be as problematic as this one, but it's clearly something that we got to be ready for. Um, and so clearly, that's something that we got to we got to be prepared at at state level, not not government and not individually. There have to be mechanisms. There has to be uh, you know investigation ongoing because the tendency I've heard from several experts, for example, we were trying to develop a SARS vaccine back in two thousand three. But once the virus went away, the interest waned. Right, and so they can't get funding. They can't get people to support it. They had to drop the projects. Yeah. So we tend to think very short term. It's only when the problem hits you that we're like, "Oh, what's where's the solution?" Well, well, now's not the best time to look for the for those for those best solutions. Now we're just making do, uh, and we see this w- with everything. We see this with nutrition. Wow. We see this with the with supplements. I mean, one thing we as soon as the virus hit, we you see on, on social media, everybody's looking for the magic supplement or the magic food that's going to boost your immunity. That's not how you're going to. Get the most bang for your buck, right? It's not. It's it's like trying to it's like trying to to work when you need the money. It's it's you build these things, uh, you know, in advance. You 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 optimize your health, and then you optimize the measures um, countrywide to be prepared for these things. Uh, but on a po- so I think that could be a positive note if we're going to be better better prepared in the future. And another wake up call that I think was has been really positive has been kind of a renewed esteem and respect for science in general. Uh, And we see this in the figure figure of of Anthony Fauci, right? Where where it's now the the number one reference and people are looking to him for answers. Um, And I think this this could be a silver lining as well, something where people realize that on scientific issues, you you gotta listen to people who do this for a living. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I refer to the, to the specialists, to the experts, but it's it's madness to to turn you know a blind eye and and to just pretend like that's not happening and just and just be oblivious to, to things when experts are warning you this wave is coming we have to take precautions and this goes for everything this goes for climate change yeah this goes for so many things that we just tend to deny or or kind of ignore as a society because they're inconvenient but. It ends up biting us in the butt in the end, right? So, like this. if if this serves to prepare us better and to to heed the advice of the experts when it when it's when they mean it, uh, I think it could be a, a good thing in the end.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But it, as a society, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. It's like once this blows over, um, then some time goes on and we forget about it, right? It, yeah, it's human oh, nature. It's human nature, but I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that we, uh, that this is a wake up call for, for everyone, especially at the state level that we start looking at these things and listening to the scientists. I mean, like you said, climate change, is a real thing, but some people, for some weird reason, they decide to deny it. And it's, uh, it's, it's, crazy to me um in and, and and something like this it's like it, do we get to a point where everything you know turns around and then we just forget about it and then you know another 10 years later it happens again and again and again and we we don't want that we want to be prepared for things it's like if uh, an asteroid is coming towards the earth right and we don't have any defense at this current moment to take care of it right so we have to be prepared it goes for so many things in our life to be prepared yeah. well, what are some of the key things that um, in your videos uh, that you like to share to people with everything going on right now? Um, things that they can prepare for, things just just
1: anything. Well, my, my videos, interestingly, they they focused almost exclusively on nutrition all the way from from my first video to to now this this crisis. And now, when the coronavirus situation started, I made a conscious choice to shift and to start looking at this, just because you know, obviously, people have a massive concern. Uh, and and, you know, it's it's an important issue. Um, so I would reiterate what I said at the, at the at the start that both for this and for for general health, lifestyle measures are the most effective things you can do. And it's simple things that we all know, but it's 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 taking action. It's the healthy diet. It's the exercise. It's the, the, the quality sleep. And it's the, the, the mental health, you know, not being Chronically stressed out, these things it's boring advice. Nobody wants to hear it. It's everybody goes, Yeah, yeah, I've heard that, but we know from statistics that most people are not doing it. So, what I try to do with this video, those videos, is give people the specifics, give people the evidence also. Because people, it's one thing to hear, Oh, you got to eat healthy, yeah, yeah, but when you show people, Here are the effects when you eat this way, this general pattern, and here are the effects when you eat this general pattern, people are. People are shown the facts and shown the data. I think everybody has the ability to understand scientific evidence. You don't need to be an expert, um, you know, to, to see, to see the facts and to and to inter- interpret them. Everybody can do it. Uh, and so that's what I try to do. Do I try to show people uh, the, the, these truths and not, not sugarcoat them or anything, but also not sensationalize them and try to show them, look, this is where you're gonna get the m- most bang for your buck. This is what you should focus the most attention on. And then these things over here, yeah, they can have an effect, but it's probably not going to be major. So, you know, no, no point uh, obsessing over those. That's kind of my, my my attitude to the whole thing.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, as we start to wrap up, I I, I do have uh, just like one more question, I guess. Um, it pertains to coronavirus. What are, if uh, someone's at home and they think that they might have, coronavirus, what are some of the symptoms uh, that an individual will get and what should they do once they start feeling uh, those symptoms?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, So main symptoms are fever, cough, and uh, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Those are the main three. There are some other symptoms that have been reported that are not as common. There can be gastrointestinal symptoms like abdominal pain, abdominal discomfort, diarrhea, but those are less common those top three are the are the uh, the, the typical ones. Um, of course, that's that. If you feel those symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean you have coronavirus. Yeah. The the flu is almost clinically is almost indistinguishable. It's very similar to to this infection. And so, um, if you start to, to to feel sick, number one, isolation, right? Don't spread it around. Uh, all the measures that we talked about of hygiene, um, rest and hydration. Tylenol if you need for the fever. If the symptoms remain very mild, you don't need to. You you may not even need medical attention. If you're just having a cough and a little bit of a fever, you know, it might it will probably go away. And it and th- this is good to remind people, the vast majority of people that are infected with coronavirus are either asymptomatic asymptomatic or the symptoms are relatively mild. They're not hospitalized. Wow. Of course, we in the media we hear about the deaths. And this gets this gets pushed in our face all the time, and it's relevant. I'm not minimizing it, but let's be let's be aware that th- that's a very small percentage. It's around one percent of people. It's significant, of course, yeah. but if you get coronavirus, especially if you're at a young and healthy um, in in the young healthy group, it's not guaranteed. Because actually, there's an interesting difference we're seeing in the West. We're seeing more. Uh, young patients being hospitalized than we saw in Asia, so there's one there's one difference there, but still statistically, you're going to be more likely to to be fine than if you're you know 80 and you have heart disease and diabetes and all these things. So um, just to, to wrap up, uh, it, it may be that you're you're going to be fine just with rest. Uh, oh, and f- fatigue is another symptom that's very common, just low energy. If if however the symptoms start to to bother you, if you start having difficulty breathing, it starts to get worse. Uh, you know, pneumonia, uh, and you're not feeling well, then yeah, seek medical attention, of course. For sure. Absolutely.
0: Uh, another question, you said in the States, um, the younger generation is uh, seeing it more. Is that because they're doing silly things like going to Florida um, to, uh, to spring <laughs> break and everything like that? Which, I mean, I get it. It's spring break, but we got a lot of stuff going on right now. So right. got that. I remember being a kid, uh, my, my myself. So uh, sure, it, it shouldn't be doing it. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, why?
1: I it's not known. It's it's very it's very recent. I've just started hearing over the last couple of days people talking about it. Uh, it seems yeah. to be, uh, you know, I've heard from different sources that they're seeing a higher number in the. So I've heard the number forty percent of the people hospitalized are are in their you know 40s or below something like that um, wow. but it's it's early days like these numbers we've seen these numbers change a lot and even the mortality rate and all that so it's just an indication that there might be something different in the West than there was in the in the far east it could be it could be the it could be the behavior it could be cultural it could be a number of things it could even be theoretically a mutation of the virus but that's more speculative and you know several experts are Kind of dismissive of that hypothesis. Um, so bottom line is, it's it's not known why we're seeing this difference. Uh, but whatever the reason, it's it's one more reason for us to be uh, to, to, to take precautions, right, and to, to be careful. And and it certainly seems that this idea that oh, I'm I'm 35 and I don't have heart disease, so I'm you know the virus can't touch me, does not seem to be entirely accurate. Uh, you're going to be better off than somebody who's 80. But, but yeah, take precautions anyway, not just for yourself, but because you're going to, if you, if you end up contracting it, you're going to potentially pass on to to older people and then, uh, you know, propagate the problem that way. So one more, one more note of caution there for us to, to take this seriously.
0: Absolutely. All of this, you know, we, we have to take it seriously. It's, uh, things are changing by the day, but you know, if we come together as a nation and we Just kind of calm down and be smart about all this. This will pass. This will pass. It's definitely a big test for everyone all across the globe. And it's uh, opening our eyes uh, and ears to really just start thinking about these things. And I hope that, um, you know, generations to come, we become more and more prepared for whatever is coming our way.
1: I think that's a great, if I could just uh, emphasize that, I think it's a great take home message that yes, the problem is serious, but it's in our hands. It's not going to go away magically. Uh, We have the power to change this. We have the privilege of seeing other countries that have taken control of it and replicate their actions. So we can do this. I have no doubt that we can do this. It's just a matter of how seriously we take it and how much action we take. So
0: of course, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And for the listeners, can you uh, tell them where they can find yourself, where they can look you up and check out all your amazing videos?
1: Sure. So the, the channel is called Nutrition Made Simple. So if you search it on YouTube, you should be able to find it. I'm on tr- on Twitter as well. It's at Nutrition S3, um, and my name—I I guess I should spell my name because it's a mouthful. My first name, my first name is Gil, and my last name is a Portuguese name. It's Carv, as in Victor Alho. Um, so if you if you Google me, you'll find all this stuff. And we we also have a, a Facebook page, also Nutrition Made Simple. If you if you Facebook search that, you'll find it as well, where we search we, where we publish a lot of. Uh, news and analysis and opinions. And we discuss all this
0: stuff. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I, you have shared so much information and I know people will, uh, definitely eat it up. and, And if they have any questions, um, I'll put all your information in the show notes and, um, let's, uh, let's definitely stay in touch. Thank you again.
1: Sounds good. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. And thanks for spreading the important messages.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Back to Your Story. Stay calm. Dream on. Thanks, man.
1: Thank you.